Welcome to the Future of Agriculture podcast, the show that explores the people, companies, and ideas that are shaping the future of agribusiness. Innovation, resourcefulness, and collaboration are essential for feeding a growing population, and we believe the agriculture industry is up for the challenge. Please welcome your host, Tim Hammerich. Hello, thank you so much for downloading this episode of the Future of Agriculture podcast. My name is Tim Hamrich. I'm an agribusiness recruiter, and it's my pleasure to bring you these stories every week of the people, companies, and ideas shaping the future of agriculture. This show is a part of the Farm and Rural Ag Network, so if you like ag podcasts, blogs, and vlogs, head over to farmruralag.com and check out some other good ones there. As you know, if you listened to last week with Sarah Nolet, we are starting our series called Accelerating Ag Tech. One of my favorite things to do on the show is to profile new startups that are solving important problems in our industry. And this is a great series to do that. And more specifically, to put some context around how the various accelerators, uh, the accelerator programs, that is, have helped these startups get going, get on their feet and establish contacts in the industry and grow their business. Uh, today, we're going to start off with our very first startup that we're going to, to profile, and that is Impact Vision. Impact Vision's software platform provides insights about the quality attributes of fresh foods non-invasively and rapidly using hyperspectral technology and machine learning to reduce food waste and fraud whilst increasing the yield of supply chains and quality of products delivered to consumers. So you're going to get to hear all about what that means from their CEO and co-founder, Abby Ramanan. This is actually Abby's third startup in the, the food space. The first one uh, dealing with food waste called Day Old and the second one called Poppy's Pickles. Uh, but the first one that she's done in the technology space, and, and you're going to hear about this technology that I believe uh, has some serious use cases for food processing and food distribution. So it's pretty exciting. Abby and her team also went through the Terra Accelerator, which we're going to get a chance to highlight briefly for you on a future follow-up Friday. Enjoy this interview with Abby Ramanan, and she's going to start off by explaining what in the heck is hyperspectral technology. Enjoy. So hyperspectral technology is what developed for use by NASA for use in space. So it combines spectroscopy and digital imaging. And what this allows you to do is just get a much richer understanding of the information in a sample as opposed to just looking at reflectance from a single point. So it measures reflectance. That's the science of spectroscopy, looking at the reflectance of light at a single point over hundreds of continuous wavelengths. And combining this with digital imaging allows you to get information from hundreds or even thousands of pixels. And NASA developed it to look at and understand the atmosphere of distant planets and looking, measuring uh, or bouncing light across huge distances in space. Over the period of the last five, 10 years, the sensors have become increasingly more democratized. So we started to see applications in defense and then they were used to monitor things like oil and gas pipelines, quite widely used on drones and UAVs for precision agriculture. And very recently, we started to see the first kind of industrial applications for food, because until a, a certain trends have converged to make that possible, and I can go into that a little bit later. But essentially, the value of hyperspectral imaging is it allows you to see chemical information from images. So whereas a traditional, traditional RGB image just looks at three bands of color, hyperspectral cameras look at hundreds of different bands. So you can access information in near infrared and in infrared and even in ultraviolet for certain applications. There actually is a lot of information that exists in the world. It's just our eyes don't have the capacity to see gases or heat or cold or 
understand things like tenderness or rightness, whereas these cameras, when packaged together with ground truth data, can allow us to see so much more information. And it's non-invasive and it's real-time. So this really means they can be used as tools to really help improve the efficiency in supply chains, for example. When did you first hear about this this high, hyperspectral technology and what connected the dots in your mind to apply this to food? I have been working in the food industry in and around food for several years. I used to work at Fair Trade. I worked on the global banana supply chain. I then worked on developing sustainable local food systems and looking at food waste and food poverty. And I became really interested in the food system and how much power it has to, in relation to everything from climate change to obesity. And I started two food businesses in London, um, one focused around employment. It's a catering company of migrant and refugee women, and one focused around specifically around food waste. So it's a redistribution platform. And during this process, I became really interested, particularly in supply chain waste and loss and how we could start to address some of those systemic challenges. Um, I then applied to a place called Singularity University in Mountain View uh, with the, the kind of goal to go there and work on some post-harvest, using technology work on how we can address post-harvest loss in supply chain. And there we learned about hyperspectral imaging from someone from a satellite company. So he had been developing satellites with hyperspectral capabilities to image the Earth and provide information on everything from kind of population, migration inflows to all the kind of um, benefits that come from having greater information from, from the Earth. And he, his recommendation was we're going to, the sensors are going to decrease in size and price. So I, my goal, I, recommendation is that people look for on-Earth applications. So we did some research and found that while there were a number of hardware companies focused on hyperspectral imaging, very few companies were and still are focused on developing an analytics layer. So really focused on the software and how to turn the data that you get into some really valuable insights for the food industry. So that's really how we came up with the concept. And to be honest, it's changed very little from the initial idea. It's just we've become much more specific. We've done a lot of pilots. We're launching our commercial product later this year. But the idea was to equip food supply chains with digital tools so that you can facilitate a shift towards a system where 100% of products are tested as opposed to just between 2 to 4% today. We're getting into the meat of it here. Two to four percent of our food is tested today as, I guess, supposedly representative samples. Uh, and you're using this imaging so that 100 percent can be tested. Could you walk us through maybe a real practical use case uh, to help us wrap our heads around why this is important? Yeah, absolutely. So it's really the case that we currently are harboring uh, or living in the, in the impression that we need to increase food production. But we really need to decrease food production and produce more food for a growing population of some, I think it's going to be around 9 to 10 billion by 2050, with less resources. So one thing that we really need to improve is the efficiency of distribution of food through the supply chain. Today, a third of all the food produced in the world is wasted. And in developed countries, about 50% of this happens during processing in the supply chain and around 50% happens at home or domestically. And what one of the reasons for this is that food supply chains have not been equipped with tools to improve efficiency. So if you're testing one in a thousand or one in two thousand samples and then applying a kind of statistical model, you're going to get really uneven end quality, a lot of waste at the restaurant level, a lot of, a lot of waste at the retailer level. It's just because you can't accurately predict the, the quality or the shelf life. So what hyperspectral imaging and other techniques allow you to do is understand the chemical composition of every single product when it's passing by on a conveyor belt, for example. So every avocado can be sorted based on its 
dry matter content and then sorted into buckets with much lower variance. These buckets can then be ripened together, generating much a much more uniform end product. Or if we take the example of beef, we worked on a pilot with a retailer in the U.S. and meat has a pH of above 5.9, should not be lacking packed and sold as steak. It will almost certainly be rejected by the consumer. Uh, however, because it becomes something known as BFD, dark, sun, dry. However, if you are able to access this information high up in the supply chain at the distribution center, for example, then that meat can be turned into ground beef or mince. It doesn't have to be wasted. And that's the short-term solution. But longer term, a high pH indicates the problem with the suppliers. You now have objective data to back up any claims that you make. And similarly, retailers have a lot of power in the, in the supply chain and can reject whole batches of products based on sample-based testing. But if a producer has a guarantee that every single tomato or every single apple has been objectively classified and guaranteed to be of a certain quality, it just enables much more rigor in terms of the, in terms of the supply chain. And also, like I say, those examples show how you can reduce waste and also you can command a premium for better consistency of, of the end product. If a, a food processor or, or a distributor, I guess if they're going to use your process, you would you would sell them both the hardware and then kind of the monthly software as a service model. Is that right? Exactly. So we don't manufacture any hardware. We are a solely a software company, but because we're really trying to take this technology out of labs, out of research institutes and push it into distribution centers where it can make an impact, we focus a lot on developing software that can move at production grade speeds of 70, 80, 90 centimeters upwards per second. Uh, and we also provide a full end-to-end solution. So we source the hardware, we make sure everything is IP65 graded for food processing facilities, we source the illumination unit, the computer, the rig, we take care of the installation, and then there is a monthly or an annual fee for access to the, to the software. To make sure we have a really good understanding of kind of what's happening now or what's happened in the past, uh, a, a processor or, or distributor would, would go through, uh, you know, however many thousands of tons of product, they would sample maybe one to 2% of that and say, okay, as a whole, it's probably okay. And then, and then ultimately, well, 30% of that ultimately gets wasted, but about half of that is, is in kind of before the consumer ever gets it. So let's, let's say 15% of that is ultimately wasted. How much of an impact do you think this type of data can have where instead of testing one to 2%, you're testing hundred percent and you're getting those results in real time? I mean, I think it can be revolutionary. So if you take just really conservative estimates of reducing supply chain waste by between 1% to 5% can result in hundreds of tons of waste being being prevented. And I think something like improving the sorting process by 1% can lead to, um, let me just remember what the actual <laughs> not, uh, statistic is. So essentially what we help to do is improve the sorting process. And today that's just not possible with sample-based testing. But it's something like by increasing the yields of vegetables, potatoes, and nuts by just 1% with better sorting technology, it's possible to increase the amount of this type of produce in the U.S. by 11 million tons. So part of this is about reducing waste, like, for example, with the beef example on the, at the supermarket level, or by having more consistent avocados. At both. So today, uh, one chain that we spoke to source between 30 to 40 million avocados a year, and around 20% of this is wasted at the restaurant level due to issues with overripe and underripe. And using this technology can really help to drive that to a much lower percentage by delivering a more consistent product, which is not possible with sample-based tests. And improving the sorting can also really improve yields. So getting more products consumed from the same initial starting point. So there's kind of two sides to where 
who can really create value. And it sounds like I know you mentioned like the uh, the the retailers have a lot of power where they could just reject or you know, uh, anything they want. So it sounds like the pain point here is really felt by those processors and distributors. And so that's probably your primary market. Is that correct? Exactly. Yeah, we're starting with we have worked on a pilot with a retailer, but we're starting with um, processors and distributors. Exactly. And I know I, I watched a YouTube video where you, where you also mentioned the problem of, of food fraud being a big deal. Can you just explain to everybody kind of what is food fraud and how might um, technology such as yours help with that issue? Yeah, absolutely. So food fraud is the process of um, purposefully adulterating product with a cheaper or different food product. So, for example, when olive oil is um, watered down or when fish, which is one of the biggest examples and one that we're working on, is wild-caught um, or factory-farmed tilapia is substituted for wild-caught um, red snapper, for example. Up to 90% of red snapper in the U.S. is thought to actually be cheaper factory-farmed tilapia. Or adding melamine in milk powders, which have the same visual appearance in order to apparently boost protein content that can have detrimental impact on children. So it's substitution for cheaper products in, in, in summary. And a lot of times this substitution is very difficult to detect with the human eye. You either need a trained operator in the case of fish or in the case of melamine and milk powder, it's not possible to, no human being can tell the difference between two white powders that look exactly the same. So it's our technology because every object in the world has a unique, what's known as spectral fingerprint or spectral signature, which is the signature in terms of how they reflect light, just like every human being has a unique human fingerprint. And what we can do with hyperspectral imaging is measure the differences in spectral signatures between pod um, and haddock or salmon and red snapper and tilapia. And we could also look at the difference between melamine and milk powder because they, these substances reflect light differently. So that's one way we think we can really help address fraud as well. This is really interesting. So basically, you know, you can tell subtle differences. To me, the most fascinating one is the the farmed versus wild caught. Like you would think the chemical makeup or the, the hyperspectral fingerprint would be identical, but it's not. So we can, we haven't, we can detect differences between fish that has been uh, we can classify today the freshness of fish in different categories. Because of how well that works, we have a strong hypothesis that we can detect the difference between different um, species as well. So, for example, tilapia or red snapper. Whether we can detect the difference between wild caught or farmed of the same species, we need to test. We need to carry out a pilot and see if we had probably data set. But that is, it's more around detecting freshness and the difference between species is, is what we think we can do. Interesting. I mean, it just seems like there's so many applications for this, Abby. How how do you, as an entrepreneur, sort of hone in on which are the the, the path of least resistance, or the low hanging fruit, or the most worthwhile sort of applications to pursue first? Yeah, absolutely. So we initially started working in beef, partly because we were approached, and we felt that uh, waste in the meat supply chain had particularly severe consequences, considering that it takes about I think something like 15 gallons of water to produce one uh, kilogram of beef and all the energy and grains and labor that goes into producing meat and for for there to be waste in that supply chain is particularly severe. So we started working with with beef. We then found out that this problem of non-magnetic materials being not being detected in during processing and going on to cause costly product recalls. And by non-magnetic materials, I mean things like plastic, paper, cardboard, etc., which aren't detected by X-ray machines or by metal detectors. 
So that's a problem that cuts across so many different categories, from fish to fresh produce to sugar and other commodities. So that we knew was, um, after speaking to many, many companies, we knew it was a challenge. And then we thought, and sugar is also kind of growing in popularity. We then also um, developing an application for avocados because popular global supply is at an all-time high. Um, consumers are, you know, demanding, <laughs> partly fueled by Instagram, more and more um, dishes featuring avocados. It's a, it's a really in-demand product. Um, and similarly with fish, consumption is increasing in the US and in some parts of Europe. So we focused on products which are high value, um, where they have typically quite short shelf life, so freshness and quality are of paramount importance, and also where consumers are willing to pay a premium for guaranteed quality. What stage is, is uh, Impact Vision at now as far as in your development? I know you've mentioned several pilots that you've done, uh, but what's kind of top of mind in terms of your strategic uh, priorities right now? Yeah, absolutely. So we are launching our first commercial product for foreign object detection in October in conjunction um, with a Mexican sugar processor. So that will be the first system that we take to market. And then we plan to do additional sales of foreign object detection systems. And we've done mini pilots with companies ranging from other sugar companies to meat processors, both focused on ground beef and ground pork. We're we're also looking at um, potatoes. So we're going to do a site visit around um, detecting foreign objects during potato processing. So those are all applications for foreign object detection. Beyond that, we, like I mentioned, we carried out a successful pilot for classifying the dry matter content of avocados. So we're currently working on a longer term uh, contract. So hoping, or the plan is to do a test installation by the end of the year. After that, we're likely going to fish and we're also looking at berries and salads, so other kind of high value perishables. Longer term, uh, we also have a partnership with a company that's developing a hyperspectral sensor for smartphones. So we plan to co-launch our first application for looking at fish freshness in a handheld device with them by the end of 2019. So the technology is really progressing at quite a fast pace. And would that be a consumer use uh, on the smartphone? Yeah, we, so it will be. It can also be used by industry, but it will be the first wave of devices with integrated hyperspectral sensors will be um, in smartphones so for uh, consumers to use. Exactly. Yeah, exciting. That is exciting. And so uh, you mentioned uh, at the beginning of the interview here about how you've started two other companies in the food space, one one uh, kind of a food waste marketplace and, and then um, a pickle company, if I remember right. And how how is this company different and uh, how has the journey been kind of starting more of a technology company further um, up the value stream? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this company is different in that it is something that is, like I say, has the potential to be truly revolutionary in its impact because we're addressing a problem. We're kind of combining a space technology with supply chains and it's leveraging a lot of um, a lot of trends like machine learning, sensors, uh, computer vision, like a lot of these quite emerging and pioneering technology trends and addressing a really industrial problem, essentially equipping food supply chains with digital technologies uh, in quite a pioneering way. So in that way, what this what Impact Vision is doing, what we are doing with it is is quite um like I say quite pioneering. The other companies I started are amazing, but they're much more kind of grassroots and community orientated. So not particularly technology technologically enabled, um, much more focused around, like I said, employment and Dale is more of a local food waste initiative, both of which I think are extremely important. In some sectors, it is much better to have a deeper impact with employment, for example, but I think Impact Vision 
while while addressing the challenge of of waste and of supply chain optimization is doing so in a really kind of forward thinking way. For this company, you chose to get involved with Terra. Can you tell us about how you kind of found Terra and what that experience has been like? Yes, definitely. So Terra has been absolutely fantastic. We took part in the first cohort and it was just such a great uh, concept in terms of particularly for companies that are developing quite R&D heavy solutions. The food industry is quite conservative and you do really need to partner with companies in order to prove the or validate the, the use of your technology and then hopefully go on to commercialize with them. As a very small startup, having the access to the kind of corporate partners that Terra provided, having access to um, a really interesting and useful curriculum, meeting the other startups, the team were fantastic. And the fact that it's really geared towards food companies doing pilots with large corporates and everyone arrives to Terra, everyone is briefed, everyone knows that they're there for that purpose, but saves a lot of time of kind of going back and forth. Uh, in the initial stages. And as a result of taking part in Terra, we started working with the sugar processor that, that we are signing up. We signed our first commercial contract with them. We're launching our product with them. And I'm actually going back to mentor at Terra for the third cohort. So yeah, I think it's an absolutely fantastic program for to help food tech startups get their food and agriculture startups to get their technology out into the, into the mainstream with um, larger companies. What made you choose Terra as opposed to trying to pursue pursue another accelerator? What was the selling point before you went through it? So we have done a couple of other accelerators. We did one, we went back to Singularity University, and that was good because it was much more focused around impact, which was important to us. We also took part in one in um, Spain called Reimagine Food, which was more around similar to Terra, but much more around meeting food companies, pitching. We were just very early stage, so it was a really good experience, but we weren't in a position to start selling a product. And then we also took part in one called the Fishing Accelerator, which is how we met our fish um, pilot partner. But I think Terra was unique in that the level of commitment shown by all parties was just so high, and it was just a really well-executed program. So when I read about it and heard that it was about piloting and with large food companies, the whole rationale behind it just really made sense to us. Very cool. And for for your technology, it seems like there's kind of a a huge potential cost savings uh, in terms of efficiency for your target customer. I would think, though, the the way I would see it kind of rolling out is they would utilize uh, your software in order to build uh, an automatic sorter where where based on let's use the meat example, you know, based on uh, whatever you're evaluating in terms of moisture, tenderness, et cetera, uh, the the sort of um, processing conveyor would kind of s- physically separate uh, the different types of of qualities of meat into different spaces. So is that is that kind of where you think things are going long term and how people will use this technology? Uh, and if so, is is kind of investing in that level of capital expenditures a, a barrier to people fully using it? Yeah, great question. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, what we ultimately are doing is automating quality control so that people don't have to stand by the side of the conveyor belt manually sorting products and can work on more interesting aspects within a food company. And also it just really, like I say, improves the efficiency of a system that today is very manual, very sample-based and very laborious. So yeah, exactly. until, today, until now it hasn't really been possible to access information like tenderness or pH without doing disruptive tests. And with this technology, you're able to access it from images. So that really is a big shift that this allows. And it happens in real time. It happens at production grade speed. So that is a big shift in the way supply chains operate. And in terms of the cost, 
it's a good question. Food companies are relatively um, conservative in adoption of new technologies. So I think always you have to be thinking about how can I prove the ROI? How can I prove the value that this will create? How can we quantify the benefits? And it really needs, because if the gain is proportionate enough, you will, and in a lot of the examples that I told you, it is, then the cost is, is offset by that. But it does require food companies to be forward thinking and make the, the kind of leap towards these kinds of next generation technologies. Well, Abby Ramanan, CEO of Impact Vision, thank you so much for being on the show. If, if somebody wants to follow up and learn more about Impact Vision, uh, where should we direct them? Oh, please send them my way. I would love to hear from any of the listeners. If, even if you are just curious about the technology, it's always good to chat. So my email address is abi at impactbi.com. So yeah, feel free to get in touch. Um, if you've got suggestions for new applications we should be working on, we're always interested to, to hear um, about that. And thank you so much for having me. Very cool stuff there from Abby Ramanan of Impact Vision. Uh, I think it is pretty exciting to think about uh, how this technology could allow a food processor or food distributor to actually in real time determine how that food goes through the supply chain based on its quality and the parameters that Abby mentioned. So really cool stuff there. Um, I'm excited about this whole series on accelerating ag tech. We are going to get to hear from the Terra Accelerator, which Abby was a part of uh, here in the very near future. And let me know your feedback on this being the future of agriculture and, and just anything about this show. I'd love to hear from you on Twitter via email or at speakpipe.com forward slash future of ag. Thanks so much. And we will be back next week with another episode as part of the Accelerating Ag Tech series. Have a great one. Thank you for listening to the Future of Agriculture podcast with Tim Hammerich. Visit futureofag.com, that's futureofagag.com today to get connected into careers in the agriculture industry. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Oh, oh, oh.